Hello everyone, my name is Maria Lipman, Senior Associate to Poners, the program on new approaches to research and security in Eurasia. Welcome to our Poners Eurasia podcast. This podcast features a series of discussions about Eurasia, about the region's politics, and about other Russian Eurasia-related topics. With my guest, Ksenia Luchenka, who I will introduce a bit later, we will talk about the Russian Orthodox Church at the time of the COVID pandemic. To regular churchgoers, Easter and the weeks leading to it are a most important time, with many holidays and services following each other in quick succession. Even those believers who attend church services very rarely, Easter would be the time, maybe the only time a year, when they would go to church. In 2020, the Easter holidays were also the time when in Russia the COVID epidemic was on the rise. Large gatherings with kissing the icons, receiving the sacrament from the priest, commonly using the same spoon and drinking from the same glass are exactly the practices that are sure to lead to mass infections. The Russian government authorities urged the Russian Orthodox Church leadership to close churches, at least to parishioners, but the church leadership lingered. Only as late as in the end of March, the Moscow Patriarch, the topmost church official, finally complied with the government's plea. He called for bishops and priests to hold services behind closed doors and parishioners to make do with a video version of the services. That was about three weeks before Easter, and quite a number of priests and bishops ignored the patriarch's call or even demonstrated open and vocal disobedience. Some expressed their outrage over what they saw as a violation of the Constitution and the freedom of conscience it guarantees. Others were furious that secular authorities interfered with the church practices. Why, some angrily inquired, must churches close their doors if supermarkets stay open? Some priests and bishops insisted that one cannot get infected in a church, a sacred place, or affirmed that holy prayer would help avert the disease. Although most churches closed their doors to parishioners, not a few remained open for service through Easter, and the consequences have been grim. Many among the clergy, including top-tier people, got infected. Deaths among priests and monks are about 50. Some of the monasteries suffered especially badly, with hundreds infected and many gravely sick. The Russian Orthodox Church is a strict hierarchy. The Patriarch is at the very top, metropolitans, archbishops, and bishops are at top tiers, and all the way down are rank-and-file priests. The word hierarch, hierarch in Russian, is a term in the Russian Orthodox Church vocabulary. One hears about rank-and-file priests depending on their superior's benevolence to be appointed to a good parish, a wealthy one and located in an urban center or that in the case of a misdemeanor of some sort, a priest may be relocated to a poor parish somewhere deep in the provinces. How unusual is the current defiance of the patriarch's admonition, and what may be its implications? I'm talking about it with Ksenia Luchenka, a long-time observer of the Russian Orthodox Church. For many years, Ksenia has written about the Church for a variety of Russian publications, and most recently she's authored several insightful and profound articles analyzing what goes on inside the Russian Orthodox Church at the time of the COVID pandemic, and what it means for its future. My first question is about the trends within the Russian Orthodox Church. 
Irina Popkova, in her 2011 book about the Russian Orthodox Church titled The Orthodox Church and Russian Politics, identifies three major trends within the Russian Orthodox Church. Very roughly, the conservatives, that is, the loyal majority, the liberals, and the fundamentalists. Do you agree with this description? Uh, well, I know about this book, but unfortunately I haven't read it. Yes, I generally agree. This description makes sense to me. I'd point out, however, that this so-called loyal majority can be described as conservative uh, only with some reservations. I'd rather differentiate between those who are actively engaged in the church life, for whom this is an important part of their identity. I'd probably call them professional Orthodox Christians and a silent majority. To this silent majority, uh, their relation to the church is reduced to a cultural convention. It's a source of rituals that make their lives more structured. And it is also a um, provider of miracles, as it were. Among professional Orthodox Christians, one can indeed identify liberals and fundamentalists. But there are also significant variations within each of these groups. As for the silent majority, just because they are silent, we don't have a good idea what they actually believe and what views they hold. Professing genuine fundamentalism is not an easy thing to do, even if it is fundamentalism light. And most among the silent majority take a sort of consumer attitude to the church. First and foremost, they value their personal comfort. Therefore, politically, they are generally not dissimilar from the Russian society at large. Okay, I love the concept of fundamentalism light, and that it is, it is not an easy thing to do. Uh, so is that true that, in fact, the Russian Orthodox Church is not a strict hierarchy? In one of your recent articles, you wrote about a discord within the Russian Orthodox Church and even used the word schism. What do you mean by that? And who are those schismatics? Yes, formally speaking, the Russian Orthodox Church, as any local Orthodox Church, has a reasonably democratic arrangement. But these formalities are mostly a mere decoration. The canon law is de facto absent. It is not codified. There are many documents that contradict each other. Technically, ecclesiastical courts exist, but in fact, there are no re real court proceedings. More often than not, court trials are badly reached. Ordinary parish priests are the most rightless people in Russia. They are not protected by the laws of their own country. Of course, theoretically speaking, their employment must be regulated by labor contracts. They should be paid at least a minimal wage um, that is established in the region where they serve. But in practice, uh, this uh, negligible payment, what they are paid beyond that is based on oral agreements. As a result, they fully depend on their bishops. May I interrupt you for a second? Uh, when you say oral agreements and arbitrary arrangements, do you mean with their superiors? With yeah, yes, bishops? yes, with those bishops, of course, with their superiors. And what about the schism itself? Uh, as to the schism, uh, the shadow of so-called schism from the right uh, has been hanging over the Russian Orthodox Church all through the years of the religious freedom, that is, since the collapse of the Soviet Union. 
first under Petrarch Alexei and then under Petrarch Kirill. And Petrarch Kirill has always feared fundamentalists and tried to show them that he's their friend, but he gets stabbed in the back by them nonetheless. The fear that in the 17th century Russian Orthodox schism over the ritual may come back prevents the church from conducting any reform. And what are the reforms that you have in mind? What reforms can there be? For instance, a reform of the calendar that remains 13 days behind the secular calendar, or a transition to contemporary Russian language. Currently, the services in the Russian Orthodox Church are, in, are still in Church Slavonic, unlike other Orthodox Christian churches that have long switched to local languages. I think we need to clarify that Church Slavonic is not something that is easily understood by regular Russian. This is an artificial language. Right. So the services are in a language that parishioners sometimes uh, don't even understand. Back in um, early 2016, the right wing expressed their strong discontent after the Patriarch's meeting with Pope Francis in Havana. Because of that, the Patriarch chose to boycott the Pan-Orthodox Council in Crete later that year and then led to an open conflict between the Russian Church and the Greek Orthodox world. As a consequence, the Church suffered a political defeat in Ukraine and so on. So this, uh, I mean, the, the, the way you are talking about it, this sounds almost like, like blackmail. Yes, this essentially um, amounts to chronic unspoken blackmail of the patriarchy by radical right groups within the church, and the patriarch finds himself as their hostage. Uh, it's only natural that the fundamentalists have joined the ranks of COVID dissenters and stayed on guard of the ritual against the compliance with the sanitary norms. From what you write, you have from what you have written recently, um, it follows that there seem to be also strong regional differences. In some regions, uh, churches were closed to parishioners, and in others, services continued as usual. What does it depend on? Does it depend on the local bishop, uh, on his relations with the local governor? Uh, yes, that. Decentralization of the church has manifested itself in how bishops responded to, to the COVID epidemic. Local bishops began to make their own decisions with no regard for the patriarch. Their uh, approaches varied quite broadly. Some took the responsibility for closing their churches and exempting the priests from paying their dues. Others, on the contrary, demonstrated defiance of the government authorities and called for people to attend Easter services. Relations between bishops and governors generally follow the same pattern. Taking the lead from the president, governors grant financial and legal preferences to the church and treat it with respect. In exchange, bishops support the government ideologically. Ksenia, is it that such refusal to follow the recommendations given by the governors, given by government in general, did it come as a surprise to the governors? Um, yes, that some bishops refused to close their churches or opted for only halfway measures 
came as a surprise to governors. In most regions, the governors eventually managed to reach a compromise with bishops and demonstrated that they were still on good terms. But the bishops' uh, so-called rebellion is a precedent that is unlikely to be forgotten. What do you mean? Uh, I would guess that governors may become less generous to the church, especially because of the imminent economic decline. Um, cities in which bishops engaged in disputes with local government authorities over church closure, uh, include among others, for example, St. Petersburg, Yekaterinburg, Siktivkar in Komi Republic, and Saratov. But for instance, uh, in Pskov and Rostov-on-Don, local bishops made their own decisions and closed churches even before they got instructions uh, from the government. Right. Um, in your recent blog post, you wrote that you expected that the COVID pandemic would have grave implications. You even referred to, you used the word crisis. What are these implications? Uh, indeed, I envision several different crises. Uh, one has to do with the power balance. The patriarch has not assumed trans- responsibility either for the closure of churches or for any other definitive decision for that matter. Local bishops made their own decisions, each in his own fashion. So now they've got a sense that they may act independently. In Moscow, head priests have been made responsible for any COVID deaths that might occur among clergy or parishioners of their churches. If deaths occurred, they were told they would have to account for them in canon courts. Uh, the church management system has demonstrated weakness and a lack of confidence. Meanwhile, some of the bishops realized uh, their growing power. Uh, rank and file priests feel abandoned, and lay people are confused and losing trust in the church. And if we now turn to the economic aspect, what may be the implications for the church? for its economy, what may be the economic consequences of this COVID pandemic? Yes, this can be another crisis. Um, If there are no parishioners and churches, this means no donations, no money to pay dues, either to the diocese or the patriarchy, and no funds to pay salaries. And this situation is bound to get worse. It's rather difficult to make forecasts, but the situation may get very grim judging by the number of priests uh, who these days asked for donations on social networks because they can no longer pay to their employees. Uh, And again, it varies diocese to diocese. In the previous period, the patriarch increased several times the number of bishops, so he can rely on a panel of loyal vessels at the bishop's council. Now, however, there's nobody to feed this army of vessels. And besides, their loyalty is far from absolute, and their managerial skills are dubious. And um, if we talk about the church-state relations, it seems, uh, if I remember correctly, that you also wrote that this realm can also be affected by the COVID pandemic. So can you elaborate on that, church-state relations? Uh, Yes, the government realized that the patriarch cannot manage his flock 
Orthodox believers who um, up until recently looked obedient and patriotic uh, today readily stand up against the police. Uh, what's more, the patriarch can't even manage his bishops and clergy, not even in his own uh, monastery of the, uh, the Trinity lover of St. Sergius. Um, local governors and other officials were greatly surprised to see that once the bishops uh, found themselves in an emergency, they declared the governors the enemies who barred them for their way to churches. Um, even though until recently those same bishops accepted financial support from the governors, posed for joint photos with them, and gave joint speeches. As the economic decline deepens, the Russian Orthodox Church uh, will have to drop the pretense of being an equal partner and will become a subordinate one, taking orders in exchange for money and security. Uh, this crisis is also likely to affect the relations between church and society. Parishes and especially monasteries have become sources of mass infections. Uh, as a result, the clergy as a social group have been stigmatized and believers have repeatedly become the target of aggression. For the first time, such sentiments are openly shared by officials, uh, something that was never the case before. Right. Um, you uh, In your analysis, uh, you also mentioned the theological crisis. I know these are very complicated matters, but maybe you can explain what you mean in simple terms. What is this theological crisis about? Uh, well, for me, it's the most interesting thing. <laughs> Um, the COVID epidemic has raised essential questions of faith. For example, can one get infected through sacrament? What is the meaning of the church life if churches are closed? Is it appropriate to, to take part in church ceremonies online? What is the value of a person's biological life? Can a martyr sacrifice not just his own life and health, but also those of the others? No answers to these questions are available at the present. Right. Complicated questions indeed. And because your list of crises is long, I would like you to say a few words also about a crisis of religious practices. COVID pandemic apparently has had an effect on those. Yes. Since believers isolated themselves, their church life has been reduced to the digital realm. Broadcast services, joint Zoom prayers, online donations and payments for ceremonies, Instagram broadcast, anonymous Telegram channels. All these practices are on the rise and will stay on after the quarantine has been lifted. And there is no way to control these operations from above. New sanitary norms will also remain in place. This will change the layman's perception and inevitably also the rituals themselves. Yeah, well, I think this is changing. These new practices are changing all of our lives. Uh, laymen and clergy, religious and non-religious people, since we have isolated ourselves and uh, moved indoors. So what are the implications for the Russian Orthodox Church leadership? Some commentators suggested, and I've seen several publications like that, that the patriarch is losing power. I will remind that the patriarch is at the very top. 
he is at the very uh, at the very tip of this pyramid of this hierarchy. So do you agree with that? Do you see uh, Patrick Kirill indeed losing power? Uh, well, I generally agree. The Patriarch is losing authority vis-a-vis -vis the government officials uh, and Russian officials, even though many of them claim to be Orthodox Christians, hate to deal with the Russian Orthodox Church's people who always act as if everybody owes them. The Patriarch is also losing authority vis-a-vis -vis top tier clergy, as well as believers at large. But it's hard to say what implications can there be since he is um, a lifetime position. Uh, many analysts have insistently painted Metropolitan Tikhon Shevkunov, a figure close to Putin, as the primary opponent of the Patriarch. But Shevkunov himself has been fairly cautious and has not sought to build any coalitions. My sense is that right now, while the Patriarch is rather weak, Shevkunov's independent conduct is a lucrative strategy, and this situation may last for several more years. So far, there hasn't been any hints uh, that any ambitious bishops might come together and form a strategic alliance against the Patriarch. Well, we hear these days fairly often, actually, that even President Putin does not have the same power that he used to have, and maybe he will come out of this COVID pandemic weakened, and the implications may be quite serious for the Russian political system. Now you are telling us that the Patriarch also may come out weakened out of this pandemic. This is uh, a lot to expect if and well, I would say when the COVID pandemic is over, something we all look forward to. Thank you very much, Ksenia. Thank you.